listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Mike Gaston, and I'm glad to have you along. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's uh, Sunday, February 13th, Super Bowl Sunday here in the United States of America. And uh, this is episode number 117 of the podcast. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. So uh, people have been asking me, hey, Mike, who are you rooting for for the Super Bowl? What's your team? Who's your pick? And I am unabashedly unashamedly choosing, siding, rooting for the Canadian truckers. That's who I'm rooting for this Super Bowl Sunday. Now, we're going to be going out, uh, hanging out with some friends for Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, and I always like it. It's a nice social event. Got some fond memories of years gone by, hanging out with some folks, maybe having some beers and brats and and beans and whatever, and uh, having a good time watching, uh, and it's not beers, brats, and beans. <laughs> I just I just want, I like the alliteration, but hanging out with some friends, watching the game, having some good drinks, some good food, maybe a laugh or two, uh, always a good time, so looking forward to that. But I'm, I'm rooting for the Canadian truckers, and today I want to kind of kick off a little, what I think is gonna be a mini-series. Now here's the thing, make these big promises. Well, we're going to do a mini, we're going to do a series. We're going to do a deep dive over the next, you know, X weeks. We're going to go into this topic. I want to, I want to do a series. I want to do a bit of a dive. And so today is going to be a kickoff of, uh, some content around the new world order, the NWO. Now the NWO, the new world order, boy, it, it's a fascinating topic, and there have been some, you know, as soon as you say new world order, people are like, oh, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. And, and, and even that, that reaction alone is fascinating to me. There's just, there's just so much to uncover here. You, you know, your mind goes to like lizard people and secret societies and globalist elites and satanic cults and new age, this and that, and just all this stuff. And, and, you know, if you look at, if you look online, I mean, you you can get lost for years, uh, digging around in, on the new world order. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's easy to get sucked in. And when I say, I'm not going to lie, meaning I'm confessing, I'm just saying, I'm not going to argue that, uh, there isn't a lot of bizarre stuff out there. But even in the bizarre stuff, even in the strange stuff, like the lizard people, you guys have heard the lizard people conspiracies, and we'll get into some of the stuff, not all today, but even in that, if you kind of roll your eyes at that, there is something interesting there. And what I mean by that is, even if you look at the history of, the, say, the Christian church, or even you look at Judaism, you go way back to the book of Genesis, who was it that, who was it that tempted uh, the first, the first humans who tempted Eve, it was a reptile. It was the snake, the lizard, the, the reptile, the, the cold blooded animal with a slithering behavior, forked tongue and all this stuff. Now it's interesting in the new Testament after, or sorry, after the old Testament in Genesis, the book of Genesis, where uh, the serpent tempts Eve and is successful in that. She takes a bite of the fruit of the, the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, well, you won't die. God says you'll die. You can touch that fruit. You'll be fine. He's worried that you're going to become like him. You're going to become a God. You'll become enlightened. You should try this fruit. Oh, it's really beautiful. It tastes great. You should try it. She tries it. Then she brings it to her husband, Adam, who also tries it. And that is the fall of man, the fall of mankind, the entry into this world of sickness and death, disease, destruction, war, pain, and all that stuff, uh, sin. And, and what's interesting about this is then when God 
damns them. He judges them. You know, he, you did this and this is what's going to happen. You did this, this was, and he banishes them from the garden. He also judges the serpent and he says, uh, for this reason, you know, you'll from now on forward slither on your belly, you, you snake, you'll be on your belly. Uh, so kind of, kind of, uh, implying that snakes didn't necessarily go about slithering on their belly. Did they have appendages, et cetera? So what's interesting, and this isn't what we're going to talk about all today, but I'm just pointing out, even when you get into the conspiracy theories around the new world order and you think of people like, um, you know, is it David Icke and uh, Art Bell and some of these people are like, oh, they're just conspiracy theorists. But, but even when you get into some of that stuff, you start to see there are some connections to very primal, very deep stories, narratives that mankind has embraced and includes as part of our origin story. How did the world get to be the way it is? Now, I'm, I'm uh, it, just for those that don't know, I'm, I'm a, a confessing Christian. I tend to approach scripture as literal in the sense, not as a fundamentalist, but in the sense that, uh, yes, there are different kind of genres. There's poetry in scripture. There's wisdom literature. There's, there are like historic accounts, uh, you know, and, then, and there's different types of, uh, different types of literature and scripture. But at the same time, uh, we also. I also look at scriptures being straightforward. I, I don't like to read. I don't want to deconstruct it. I don't want to read a lot into it to kind of come up with a, some sophisticated secular liberal interpretation. So, you know, some things are a mystery. You go, well, this piece of scripture butts up against what science tells us. And I, I just say, hey, you know what? Uh, there are some things that are mystery, some things we have yet to understand. Science doesn't always have the full picture. And uh, scripture isn't meant to be a scientific guidebook. It is a, a, a book that reveals Christ to us. Every page of, the, of scripture reveals Christ to us, uh, the pinnacle of, of history. So anyway, without getting too much into that, where I'm going with all this is to say, even when you talk about the New World Order and you go to things like conspiracy theories, a lot of the conspiracy theories, this idea of lizard people kind of controlling the population... You can make the, you can make these kind of symbolic connections to these deeper primal things that mankind has been struggling with, and and you know one of those things being uh, the the stories that we've told uh, about our origin, about our fall, where death, pain, and suffering come from, and then you kind of move forward and see this this kind of talk about uh, lizard people in the New World Order. This isn't all about lizard people, but today I want to kind of kick this off, this topic of the New World Order. And I brought it up in the context, I kind of kicked it off with the context of the Canadian truckers. And it's, it's fascinating to me, uh, you know, what's going on here and what's playing out. And I, I've watched all this stuff and I've... And I've <laughs> And I've been looking at this stuff and I'm just thinking to myself, like, where's this going? And, and, you, and you look online and these Canadian truckers have accomplished something amazing. You watch a guy like, you watch a guy like Justin Trudeau uh, up against the wall, but then, but then resolute in his unwillingness 
to even compromise, to even talk with the other parties involved, meaning even the other political parties, like the, the conservative party, you know, you're watching some of the, I'm watching some of these parliamentary back and forth and the conservatives are saying, Hey, they've got this uh, woman that's taken over the party, the conservatives, and her name is Candace Bergen or Bergen, uh, same name as the, uh, the famous movie star or quasi famous movie star. And, um, she's saying, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, I love the way the Canadians talk on my Canadian listeners, much love uh, from south of the border. You know, wh- won't you sit with us? Won't you talk with us? Let's let's work. You know, like, you know, you're saying you want these things to be resolved. We're inviting you. We're saying to you, come sit at the table with us. Stop fighting. And let's talk about this and figure out a way forward. And his, he's just resolute and not even giving them, not even acknowledging that they're inviting him to talk. He's just not having any of it. He is resolute and stubborn in his position that he is the one in charge. He makes the decisions and it will be his will done. And, and the reason I think this is telling this type of behavior I, I don't see Justin Trudeau as an especially strong person. This isn't a person of deep moral conviction. He's rather, uh, I mean, I, you, it's hard not to look at Trudeau with a cynical eye. You look at, you know, images, multiple images of him in complete blackface, uh, complete blackface, not just one time when he was a teenager in college, but like, you know, as an adult, completely in blackface, making, you know, just grotesque faces at the camera, you know, hamming it up, like just really proud of himself. You, you look at a lot, and that's just one example, but there's all these examples of Trudeau lacking character. And I would say he lacks conviction as well, because if you are a true liberal, if you are a true progressive, you would never do those kinds of things. You wouldn't do those things in your 20s and your 30s like he did, and then claim to be some, some really woke progressive and he's he's unrepentant uh he's not being held accountable for these things there's a number of corruption and financial scandals i mean this is a person of weak moral character quite frankly but he's but he's positing himself he's positioning himself as a man of high character high standards he's the one that cares about the people in canada and progress and all these things and and he's going to lecture the country He's, he's, you know, he's a hypocrite. He's really a hypocrite. And I don't say that just because I'm a conservative and I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I'm not going to lie, but he's a hypocrite. I mean, he's a very, uh, he's a very hypocritical and, and craven individual. He's a coward. This whole thing started and he fled. He literally went into hiding. I mean, this is the type of individual he is. And then he kind of has to emerge after a while because it's like, well, everybody else is business as usual. Uh, You know, they're down there in parliament arguing it out and I'm in hiding, you know, supposedly over uh, being exposed to COVID. And, And all of us have seen this kind of COVID exposure excuse, even in our workplaces. Any of you working... You, you deal with this and you may be in a millennial. This isn't a knock on all of millennials, but I'm, I'm seeing this mainly with the millennials and the Gen Z. It's like um, they don't want to come back to the office. I see a lot of my clients like they're having, you know, they had to for the last two years, let people work from home. You've got a whole core of people that just keep coming to work to get work done. But there's a group of people that just want to take advantage of this. Uh, at a certain point, you realize this is not about safety. It's not about health. It's just, this is what I prefer. I prefer to be home. I don't need to be there. I hear this from everybody. I don't need to be, how do you know you don't need to be there? 
How do you know? How do you know that the quality of the organization isn't strengthened by being physically present with one another? And I get it. Like there's some work you do. You don't have to be in the same building. I get it. And I'm flexible. I'm all about having some flexibility. I've been working from home for probably five, six years now. Easy as a consultant. And, and I've owned businesses where the staff, we all came in together. And I get, I get it. I'm not anti-work from home. But what you see with a lot of this stuff uh, is, excuse me, what you see with a lot of this stuff is a, a, an abuse where it's like, you know, I, you know, the, 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 the popular thing right now is just if you're exposed, you don't want to expose anybody. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe, all these kinds of things. And so you've got all these folks just kind of making an excuse. And I see it all the time. It's like, well, I was at a, a graduation party and I found out afterwards that my second cousin was exposed to COVID and I was, you know, hanging out with her and having, you know, a fruit punch drink, et cetera, et cetera. I, I really don't think I, you know, I need to stay home. And the problem for our, for managers and leaders and business owners, it's like, well, you can't just say tough, come in, because then, you know, you're the one trying to murder everybody. <laughs> you know, you're the one that's like, I forced her to come in and now, you know, half my staff is on ventilators and half the other half are dead. So you're kind of in this catch-22 where you can't call bullshit on this stuff. And at the same time, people are really abusing it. Well, that was kind of, that was kind of like uh, what was going on, it felt like, with the prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, like, you know, the truckers are coming. Oh no, I think I got exposed to somebody. Uh, I better, I better uh, isolate myself. And, you know, no word. He's not on zoom and not any of that kind of stuff. So eventually he, he pops up. Why I think this is related to the new world order. You know, there was a lot of noise about the new world order. Uh, it, it's a phrase that's been bandied about for a while. We'll talk a little bit about the history of it today, but I would look at how resolute this Trudeau is right now. He's a person that lacks moral character. He's not a strong individual. He's a person who's been able to get power. I think he's manipulative. I think he's dishonest. I don't think that he operates in a way that we could infer from his behavior that he's really in this for all Canadians. He'll lecture. He'll tell you what's good for all Canadians, but he acts like an elitist. I think it's hard to, even if you're a Trudeau supporter, I think it's hard to argue that he does not act like an elitist. And so I asked myself, what gives this man the, the, the resolution that he has, the strength to kind of, you know, see this through and not bend on his message? In fact, you know, they're cracking down. The, the cops are coming in. They're, they're making ominous threats. They did yesterday. And as of recording, I haven't really checked the news today to see what's going on, but there could be changes right now. But, you know, they're making threats like we think a lot of this is just an Americans are coming, coming across the border, right wing fanatics from America causing trouble for us. Uh, if you're there with your children, you, you, you know, all options are on the table for us to quell this uh, insurrection. They're using the same language the left is using for January 6th in America. It's always oh, an insurrection. It's an attempt to overthrow the will of the people and the government. It's funny. It's like they are the people out there, but somehow that's not the will of the people. And so all options are on the table. So if you're there with your children, we highly recommend you go home, take your kids home. It's a lot of this kind of strange behavior going on. And I'm looking at a guy like Trudeau and I'm saying, how is he so strong? What gives him the confidence to be so resolute? And this is why I'm getting at or bringing up kind of the new world order. 
I think Justin Trudeau finds his strength in numbers. I think he finds his strength in his group, in his tribe, amongst his people. And his people are not Canadians necessarily. His his tribe is not the Trudeau family. It's not necessarily his his liberal party that he's a part of. Trudeau finds his resoluteness, in my opinion, and his strength from being part of a bigger movement, a global movement. And that movement has many names. It has many heads, if you will. But that movement is this, this movement towards this manifestation of the new world order. Now, what's interesting when you look at the New World Order, if you look it up online, you can do this. Uh, It's kind of interesting. If you Google it, you get a Wikipedia entry, as you always do, as one of the top results. And Wikipedia will do these disambiguations, meaning sometimes a phrase or a topic might have multiple meanings, multiple applications. And so they will try to... um, disambiguate it, make it a little bit more clear. So they'll say, hey, uh, there's a few of these, like there's one that's, uh, uh, you know, using this phrase, this phrase is applied to farming, but it's also applied to science. And by the way, it's also applied to horse riding. You know, I'm just making stuff up here. I don't even know what the phrase would be. And so then you can click and figure out, well, which article am I really looking for? Which, which variation or what, which version of this topic or phrase am I talking about? Am I interested in learning more about? And so New World Order, is similar in that it needs to be disambiguated. And so there is one entry for New World Order conspiracy theory, and then there's a different entry for New World Order political movement, or uh, let's see exactly how they say it. Let me just tell you real quick. New World Order politics, they've got that in parentheses. And so, so what's really interesting about this is... You talk about the New World Order, you get mocked. People roll their eyes. Some of you, when I said New World Order, you're thinking, oh, gosh, Mike's going like, uh, you know, uh, midnight AM radio on us. But you, you hear New World Order, and it just evokes these feelings of conspiracy theory, of crackpot right wing, you know, dingbats, put on the tinfoil hats. Oh, my gosh. Ha, 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 ha. And when you look at the Wikipedia entries, there is one for conspiracy theory. But then, interestingly, not strangely, there, there's one as well for just politics. And, and the fact of the matter is the phrase New World Order, it features really heavily in politics. And so what I want to do today, I just want to talk a little broadly about the New World Order, kind of get this topic queued up. But I'm hoping over the next handful of weeks that we can kind of deep dive into these aspects of it. It's a multifaceted topic with lots of legitimate references and research available. Like there's a lot of stuff that you can lock in. This isn't just, uh, hey, I read this book by some, you know, some some guy living out of a basement somewhere in in Brooklyn that just, uh, you know, he's got a PO box. And if you send him a dollar, he'll send you this mimeographed, you know, 300 page thing in a manila envelope that reveals, you know, the secret bloodline of the lizard people. That stuff's out there. And and I miss those days. (laughs) I miss the pre-internet days where, where strange people would sit at a typewriter for half of their life and try to get their information out there. There was an aesthetic to that. I mean, this is just a completely nostalgic here for me, but there was an aesthetic to this kind of, um, you know, whether it was, uh, your typical kind of 
mimeographed or typewritten or photocopied pages, uh, you know, loose leaf or three ring binder punch hold, uh, or they could just be, you know, tape recordings on, on cassettes, you know, like there was just, there was a whole world and you'd find these little ads in the back of strange magazines, you know, like send, send a dollar to whatever, uh, you get these guys like I am, I am Christ incarnate, you know, and to learn more, to follow my religion, uh, get in touch. And it's just like, it, that was just a strange world, uh, strange world. There's something, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we've lost something like, like getting bizarre information has become too easy. I'm grateful for it. I mean, it's fun. Look at, I'm sitting here in my home on a Sunday doing a podcast on the new world order. And there's so much information. There's just no way I could, there's no way that I could, uh, address it in, in one podcast. I mean, it, but, but I want to, I want to spend time because I want to break this down over time. I, I think, I think there's something here for us to understand. And the reason I'm kind of tying this to the trucker thing, I'm saying, yeah, look, uh, Justin Trudeau, there's got to be something behind this guy. And I think it's the new world order and you can go, yeah, whatever. Here's why I'm bringing this up. I, I think it's important to understand the dynamics, but, but there's a lot of energy around the trucker rebellion, the trucker insurrection. Uh, you know, there's a lot of energy around Canadians, just average working class, middle class, Maybe some upper class, I don't know, but Canadians expressing their will, saying we don't like where the country is going. We don't like the handling of COVID-19, but more importantly, we feel that you are abusing your power and you are abusing us. You're, you're trying to disabuse us of our God-given rights and our Canadian rights uh, to, to operate and, and pursue our life as we see fit. You, you're disabusing us. You're trying to steal these things from us. You know, we're saying to you, fine, we were willing to comply for a period of time. I mean, Canadians, I mean, people are saying this online. They're the, they're the most law-abiding people in the world. You know, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a broad stroke there. I'm sure you could find countries that would rival them. But, they, you know, it's hard to argue. I mean, Canadians are just, they're wonderful. They're, they're polite people. They're thoughtful people. They, they, they're helpful people. They, you know, they're not, they're not like, you know, like the British, you go, Hey, you know, stiff upper lip and all and you go, that's great. But they, you know, they'll cut you down with their tongue too. I and mean, they're, they can be, the Brits can be tough. The Canadians weren't out there colonizing the world. The, the Canadians aren't out there trying to cut you off at the knees or subjugate anybody. They're good people. They're wholesome and fresh. And, uh, <laughs> So, so when you lose the Canadians, when the Canadians are rising up saying, hey, enough is enough, you got your boot on my neck. You know, they're saying like, I get it. Like we we're willing to work with you because this was a problem and, and we didn't want to see COVID wipe everybody out, but we're two years out here and uh, Omicron's proving to be not much of an anything. It's yeah, everybody's getting it and nobody's dying. Look, can we just move on? And the Canadian government is doubling down and saying, no, in no way, in no way, you must all, they've got 90%. See, the funny thing is, even Trudeau will quote this, they've got 90% uptake of the vaccine. Like everybody in that freaking country is vaccinated. You got 10% that aren't vaccinated. Big freaking deal. Like that 10% is going to wipe out the population. First of all, if the vaccine worked, what do you care about that 10%? They'll just die off, won't they? What do you care about 10%? You got 90% uptake of the vaccine. 
And Trudeau's over there saying, I refuse to meet with the conservatives. I refuse to meet with the truckers. And the truckers, by the way, this isn't a mob that's descended on Ottawa. They're very organized. They, it's a mob. And it's, a, it's a big group of people. They're very organized. They're, they're very purposeful. They've got legal representation. Like these guys have their act together. This is what it looks like. By the way, Chop and Chaz idiots. By the way, Antifa. This is what it looks like when good, hardworking people organize to get something done. They know how to do stuff. They're, they're people of, of action. They're productive people. They have agency. They're not just a bunch of people who want to burn and rip things down and destroy. That's not how they express themselves. Yes, the honking, I can't imagine. I got to be honest. If I were living in Ottawa, the honking, and I know they've knocked it off, but the honking would be miserable, miserable. But you know, the joke is the honking will continue until, like it's the same attitude that we've had, you know, the, the, the lockdowns will continue until, you know, you do what we tell you and then we might let you out. And, then, and they're saying, we're going to keep honking. But I, I am sympathetic. If, you, if you're living in Ottawa and, you, and you're a lefty to the left, then I get it how the honking would just infuriate you. I get it. I get it. But, but if you look at these guys, these are not a bunch of schlubs. They have very specific requirements and requests and demands of the government. They're not burning anybody's buildings down. They're not, they're not attacking businesses. Yes, the news media is going to tell you all about, oh, we saw swastikas. We saw swastikas. Oh, anybody can go around with a spray can and paint swastikas. And quite frankly, if you're putting a, a Nazi swastika on a building, it could be that someone's saying, I think that this building is a Nazi building, meaning I think the government is a bunch of fascist thugs. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're promoting Nazism. You could be labeling something fascist and Nazi. Think about that. So, but the, the media is going to focus on two or three instances that, oh, you, you got a million people doing this. You got a hundred some odd thousand trucks in Ottawa. You got people from all walks of life out there. And it's, it's one big party. They're saying, hey, we love our country. We love our fellow Canadians. We love our history. We're proud of who we are. We want to be free again. It's time. It's time. So they have very specific things they're asking for. And the fact that, that uh, the government is just refusing to even acknowledge them, to refusing to even just consider very specific demands. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Trudeau doesn't like to be demanded. You know, like we demand you do this thing. I'm sure he doesn't like that. But tough. These are the people that you're supposedly serving. This is the country coming out and saying enough is enough. And quite interesting, this, the, 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 the uh, conservative party is saying, well, it's the science. You've been telling us about the science. The science is showing this is over. It's not a big deal anymore. Your own party, your own medicine, your own clinicians and medical ex experts in your own party are saying it's time. It's done. So what's the problem? Now, I've been talking about the New World Order, and I've been using the Canadian trucker thing as an example. I keep saying the reason, and, I, and I, then I get off on a tangent. What's interesting to me is people are very excited about what's going on, and I am too. I love to see uh, the average person, us, the plebs, say to the government, we're done. And we've seen throughout history how that can you can have a popular movement that overthrows a government. And that's sometimes a very good thing. Governments transgress. One thing you got to keep in mind, and I'm going to get there, kids, just hang in there. One thing you got to keep in mind, this goes back to even monarchy. People hear monarchy and they go, oh, divine right of kings and abuse. 
Yeah, that was one flavor of monarchy. But but a biblical worldview of monarchy and just a healthy worldview of monarchy. And if you go to the, the past in the West, you have to go to a biblical worldview because that was how we operated the West at the time. I know atheists are offended by that. Like, why do you keep talking about the Bible? Well, that's the world we lived in. That's how monarchy was structured. The idea behind it, and you can read this in... Um, uh, uh, Books from the 1500s on on how do you resist tyranny. Books today on how you resist tyranny. I've talked about some of these before. Uh, Tyrannos contra, what is it? Um, Oh, something contra Tyrannos. uh, Vindicae contra Tyrannos. uh, Written in the 1500s. The idea is that there there is an agreement between the people, the king and God. God is the one who holds the power. The power and the is God's. God is all powerful. It's his power. It's his authority. And the people are saying, we, yes, we accept this king to lead us in the goodness and truth of God, to, to, to lead us as a people in his laws and in his truth and in his goodness. We, we agree. We're covenanting between all three of us, us, the people, we, the people, the king and God. And then we're saying we're expecting now that this king will uphold God's laws, that he will be righteous, that he'll be merciful, he'll be just and gracious and all that stuff, and, and that he will lead us in goodness. And so, and then we're believing that God is investing in that king, the power of the sword to uphold these things in our society so that if someone in our society transgresses, the king has that authority, the power given to him by God to uphold those rules. This contract between a people and their leaders, whether it's monarchy, whether it's representative democracy, whether it's whatever, I mean, it could be a dictatorship. That is the legitimate model for how authority in a country should work. That there should be a covenant between the people and God and the leadership. And that the leadership is there to uphold what is good, what causes human flourishing. That doesn't necessarily mean that the leadership has to dictate and enforce Bible reading laws. I mean, people get wound up. They go, well, you start talking like this and it's a theocracy. But if you look at basic human rights, you look at human dignity, you look at, at these things and you say it is the obligation of the leadership to uphold the laws, to promote the behaviors and values that, that lead to a just and moral and righteous society. And when leadership doesn't do that, when leadership becomes perverted, becomes corrupted, becomes evil, becomes selfish, becomes focused on enriching itself and amassing as much power as possible. And it starts to take away from the people the very things that are theirs. When When that agreement is transgressed, then that has become an illegitimate government. And so when you see a popular uprising, yeah, sometimes it's some BS thing like Antifa where they're just like, all cops are bad cops, defund the police, white supremacy, and you know we'll burn everything down, we'll beat people in the streets. It's just anarchy, it's hatred. This is hatred, you're just hating another group. What you see happening, I think, with the Canadian truckers on a whole, if you paint with a broad brush, if you contextualize this into what it is, These are the people standing up saying, you have transgressed the agreement between us and you. 
even if they're not Christians, they're just saying there's an agreement between us that you're going to lead us forward in a way that's good and healthy for us, for our country. And you're telling us that we may not do this and we cannot do that. And, and you're forcing things into our bodies. You're demanding that we can't even feed our families unless we accept some experimental drug made by giant corporations that have no accountability into our bodies. You're saying, I can't feed my family. I lose everything if I don't do what you say. That's immoral. You are an illegitimate government at that point. And so these people are peacefully protesting. But what I keep going back to, why I think this is important is people are excited. Oh, this could happen. They're going to do it. The the truckers are going to win. And I told you, I'm rooting for the truckers. The truckers are going to win. This is going to happen. We could do it. Hang in there, everybody. This is going to be a thing. You watch. The whole thing's going to come unglued. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The, The reason that we need to be talking about the new world order and we need to understand it is because it provides the context. It provides the the canvas upon which a great painting is being painted, a picture is being constructed. And if we don't understand the canvas, if we don't understand the backdrop, if we don't understand the actual forces at play here, then we're going to have false hope. We're going to have false hope. If you think for a minute, and I'm not, I'm not negative, I'm rooting for these truckers, but if we think for a minute that all that has to happen is for Trudeau to capitulate that the day is won. Yes, the day is won for the moment. We've won a battle. And even if the truckers lost, or lose rather, we lose a battle. Doesn't mean the war is won, doesn't mean the war is lost. But I think we have to understand what is the war that we find ourselves in. Boy, I'm just jumping around uh, metaphors like crazy here. But I think you know we're, we're going from paintings and, and uh, the theaters of battle to, to war. But I think that's, I think if I had to pick one, I think that is the appropriate metaphor. And I don't know that it's so metaphorical. There is a war being waged. There is something happening. And I think there are people involved in this new world order that are kind of like, you know, they're not bad actors. They're well-meaning, but they're idiots. They're useful idiots. I think George H.W. Bush was a useful idiot. I really do. But I think when you look through the lens of the new world order and you look at everything that's going on in the world right now and you look at how the teams are squaring up against each other and who's on whose side, who seems disoriented, who seems to know what time it is, why people are confused, why are certain folks that we've always thought were enemies, you know, supposed liberals siding with these conservatives to create the intellectual dark web, which is, you know, not a thing anymore. But like, what, what's going on here? How, how are these different groups coalescing around each other? Why is it now that the right wing is very suspect of capital and big corporations? I thought the, I thought the Republicans were always big on, on giant corporations of money. Weren't they the ones that were so selfish and greedy and they're just pigs and they wanted to grind every human being under their foot as long as they could make a nickel? And now you're finding like a lot of folks like myself saying on the right wing, like, I think big corporations and capital are bad. I'm all for free markets in the sense of I'm all for uh, privately owned businesses. I think they're phenomenal. I think they're. I think if it weren't for them, we'd be in a deeper load of crap than we are right now. I don't think that privately owned businesses can save us from the situation, but I think they're a crucial part of what keeps us healthy and strong. And and there's an active, there's a very active movement to destroy them. 
But I think when you look through the lens of the new world order at the world that we're in, it starts to make a lot more sense. I want to spend a little bit of time, just broad strokes here, and then what we'll do in subsequent episodes is dig into some of these topics a little deeper. I mean, I'm already, you know, gosh, 35 minutes in, and uh, I haven't even started unpacking any of it. That might be a little frustrating for folks. I, I hate to do a teaser where it's like, here's a little intro, 10 minutes, talk to you in a week. But, but I, I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of painting with some broad strokes here. And we're going to dig in. There's just so much to dig into. There's so much. There's, uh, like, there's a lot of details. And let's see where we end up. I, I, I don't. The funny thing about this is I haven't kind of predetermined ahead of time where I want this to land. I want to do an exploration with you. I want to lead us on an exploration. I want to dig into this. And so I'm open. If you guys have thoughts, if you have information that you can provide, if you've got commentary, direction, so on, I would like you to get in touch. Best way to do that, I might as well just let you know right now, since it's just the end of the show, is to email me. You can just get me at mike at mikegaston.com. And uh, it's G-A-S-T-I-N, MikeGaston.com. Just shoot me a note. Or you can go to my website, which is MikeGaston.com. There's a contact form there. It'll email me as well. But I'd ha- I, I want to kind of go down this road together and see where we land. Now, I've got some pre-baked opinions. I've got some pre-baked uh, perspectives and lenses that I'm looking at this through. But I'm, I'm interested to see where this lands. And, and hopefully for you, you'll find this interesting as well. I won't lose half my audience. And maybe as we're going through, there's a new story. I'll take a break from this series, commentate on, comment on whatever's going on in, the, in, in that week's news, just because it's important enough. But I, I want to start spending more time on this. Now, it's funny because I sit and go, yeah, you know what, Art Bell and... Uh, and Alex Jones and, you know, who's, I keep forgetting his name. Who's the guy, the Mormon guy that does the blaze? Uh, how can I go blank on this guy? Glenn Beck. Uh, you know, they, they, they all kind of made a career. So it felt like at one time or another on the New World Order. Here I am in 2022. Um, it, it almost in some ways feels like I'm late to the party. I don't think so. I think this is becoming more relevant than we've ever realized. And what's interesting to me is I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about the NWO right now. It's passe. It's passe. And I think it's important that we start reframing and uh, what we're looking at through this lens. I don't think that they're the boogeyman behind everything, but I think looking at what the history of the New World Order, the players in the New World Order, the various institutions that came out of the New World Order, the goals of the New World Order, and, and what we see happening around us today, I think, I think makes us much more clear as to why this is important. Now, I'll just start a little bit, and we'll unpack some of this history a little bit in the next episode. But, but you know, the, the phrase started, uh, the New World Order phrase, you know, was used by Woodrow Wilson. I mean, we're talking like World War I here, post-World War I. Uh, they had this idea, this political idea that, that they create like a liberal internationalism. You know, the world w- was fractured. We had wars. World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. Of course, World War II, not too far on the heels of World War I. Uh, so that didn't necessarily work out the way that, that they thought. But this idea that World War I was, this, and it was, uh, World War I doesn't get enough attention. It was a horrible, horrible war. The, the, what, what happened in world, the type of warfare 
the type of warfare was just brutal in World War One, brutal. Uh, and 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 the world after that said, the Western world said, we don't want this to happen again. So we we want a new world order. We don't want to see this kind of old world order drive us forward into endless wars. It's unstable. It doesn't work. And so we need a new order for the world. So you hear Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, you hear Winston Churchill. Of course, he took us through uh, World War II as well. But they start to talk about this post-war order of the world. It was a movement to kind of bring the Western world and the whole world together uh, against future problems, uh, to avoid, avoid war and chaos and, and, and these destabilizing and erratic actors and, and effects that, that led the world into war. You know, you had the creation of things like the League of Nations in 1920. The brainchild of Woodrow Wilson failed, by the way. Uh, he, he, had a, he was a progressive and he had this liberal cosmopolitan view of the international order. So he had the League of Nations uh, that didn't really you know, work. Then you've got the United Nations in 1945. Again, another attempt by the world to say, let's bring us together. Let's try to find a global way forward so we can avoid uh, the type of heartache and pain and death and misery brought on by these destabilizing wars. You had uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, back in 1949 after World War II. Uh, you had some financial, uh, in, I say institutions, I don't mean like a bank that you go to, but the kind of entities that arise us like Bretton Woods to try to organize finance across the world and get people doing things the same way. You had the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. Uh, I think they call that GATT. So you had these various things coming out of the, the, the post-war world, World War I, World War II, where there was this effort by the elites of the world to try to bring countries together to have more of a liberal internationalism. If we can get everybody on the same page with this liberal internationalism, we'll unpack some of that in the next episode, uh, we're going to see a better world. And you see this even into the Cold War and post-Cold War. You had Mikhail Gorbachev and... And George H.W. Bush, you know, real, using the language of New World Order. And uh, it, so you see this kind of innocuous initially and, and even reasonable. If you look back, you go, hey, look, they went through hell on earth. I mean, World War One. I, I mean, you look at Great Britain, you look at not so, I mean, the U.S. as well, but countries like Great Britain, France, and so on. I mean, they lost so many young men. They sent so many young men home uh, deformed, mutilated, maimed crippled, uh, the, their minds, their hearts broken, their bodies broken. The, the, the price, the price, the human price that was paid by these nations, these were sons, these were fathers, these were husbands, they were brothers. And these people just, you know, killed, gassed, maimed, broken. And so it's understandable, you know, it's rather innocuous. You come out of something like that and the leaders say, we can never let this happen again. Now, the problem is you, it's, the starting, it's the starting kind of proposition or uh, starting assumptions that inform how they go about this that, 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 you know, lead to the problems that we have now. But this idea that... You want to organize the nations of the world, at least get them connected in a way that helps us avoid what happened in World War I and then subsequently in World War II. I think on paper, just theoretically, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. Now, there are other ways they could have solved this problem, but they, they, they you know, the world was at this time progressive. 
you know, we think of liberalism and progressivism often, a lot of us do, is like this new problem. You know, well, back in the 90s, it really became a thing. And then 2000s, like, that's been going on for a couple hundred years, kids, at least. Liberalism really found its roots and its strength and its, and its being through the Enlightenment. That's where we get liberalism from. It, it, I mean, it's not like it didn't exist before then. But like it really came into itself. It was born vibrant, healthy, and strong in the Enlightenment, the British Enlightenment, the French Enlightenment. I mean, there, there, there are these movements that happened 1500s, 1600s, 1700s that just, it, it came on the scene. I mean, America, the United States of America is the product of liberalism. It is the product of the enlightenment. I mean, not, you know, like I'm, I keep saying, I'm a Christian. Okay, Mike, we got it. We got it. But you know, Christians, I've been in this, these circles, I grew up Catholic, but, but then around 13, we left the Catholic church, became Protestants. And you know, you, you, you move around evangelicals and charismatics and so on. And the, well, the founding fathers love God. And you know, you hear all this, like a lot of Bible talk, a lot of Christian talk about the founding fathers and America and democracy. We didn't need some evil uh, king that didn't fear God. And, you know, this let every man, you know, pursue God and freedom of religion and, you know, separation of church and state. We, you know, th- and these are all fine things. I'm not mocking. I know I, I like to use a little voice sometimes when I put those out there, but we're very much convinced that America was this kind of God movement thing. But the fact of the matter is, and I don't think it has to be either or, but the fact of the matter is America is a liberal movement. It is a progressive movement. It's a, it's a movement about the freedom, the liberal, the liberty of the individual, the freedom of the individual to pursue happiness, to have the ability to go after the kind of life that they see fit, to live life in the ways that they desire to live it to have the freedom to choose their future. I'd like to be a dentist. I'd like to be a shipwright. I'd like to be a farmer. I'd like to be married. I'd like to be single. I'd like to ride a bicycle. I'd like to spend my money in this way. I don't want to spend my money in that way. There was this idea of liberty, and that is a liberal idea. Now, not all liberty is evil. And, and liberalism doesn't have to necessarily be evil. But there are some animating ideas behind that that we have to question. And so even when we look at America, it is a liberal experiment. It's, a, it's something the genesis of which is a liberal concept. So I bring this up to say, when you're going back to post-World War I, post-World War II, you know, it's not like all of a sudden liberalism came on the scene. Liberalism has been a thing working itself out in our society, in our culture, and from different streams. It's not just the Enlightenment. You've got the Enlightenment, then you've got the, the, um, you know, the reaction to the Enlightenment. And that would be the, the German, uh, you, know, re, you know, reactionary post-Enlightenment uh, philosophy. I'm going blank here, which gives us postmodernism. And, uh, you know, a lot of that informs what we see as progressivism and liberalism today. So we can unpack that stuff. I've touched on some of that before. That's not critical for right now. 
But you can understand Woodrow Wilson and the leaders of the day saying, you know, it's not a bad idea to try to develop a liberal internationalism, this kind of fraternity of, of nations, this league of nations that, that guides us into a more enlightened future where we're not having wars and we're not having these, you know, these, these horrible dictators with a death wish, you know, dragging us into war. Now, the World War I was really the collapsing of the monarchy. The monarch, monarchy collapsed across the world and this led to World War I. World War II is kind of a different thing. It's like, well, if monarchy's not going to be here, what fills the void? And there were different philosophies. There was, you know, socialism, communism. So the Germans were socialists. I know no one wants to hear this. Oh, they were fascists, Mike. No, they were socialists. They were nationalist socialists. They believed in their country, so, uh, founded on a socialist economic system. Then you had communists, which these Marxists saying, we want to control the world. This is the natural evolution. All governments, all economic systems will eventually evolve into the great, um, the, you know, the great society of communism across global domination. <laughs> uh, you, you had the, the, the democracies, you had the representative republics. I don't know who those would be. I guess America was still kind of that, although we were pretty much a democracy at that point. But you had these competing types of governments going to war. You had imperialism, you had nationalism. It's like whose vision of the world is going to, is going to survive? Whose w vision of the world is going to prevail and, and overcome? And whose vision of the world and government systems and economic systems are going to uh, collapse and submit themselves to the victor? This is, this is a lot of what World War II was about. I understand you can get into the history like, well, we stepped on the neck of the Germans too hard and they were impoverished. And so they had, you know, and then, then they had strong, you know, voice charismatic. And, and so they were able to, you know, try to fight for their dignity. I, I get, I'm not denying any of that, but I'm just, if you're, if you're painting with a broad brush, you're looking through certain lenses, you can just argue that World War I was the collapse of monarchy across the world. You had the monarchy in Russia, Nikolai. His family took a hard one. You get the Bolsheviks. You have, uh, you know, the monarchy in Great Britain. It's, you know, kind of evolving. It's power devolving a little bit. Uh, anyway, we don't have to get into all that, but the long and short of it is you're seeing the, the collapse of monarchy across the world leads to World War I. You can understand how folks with more of a liberal vision for mankind, democracy and the goodwill and all that jazz saying, hey, let's put together a liberal internationalism. Let's do something like the League of Nations, maybe the United Nations. Let's find a way to avoid pain and suffering caused by war. So this is kind of the frame from which all this starts. And we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack a lot of this in subsequent episodes. But this is the beginning of the New World Order. Funny enough, I mean, it goes even farther back. I mean, Kierkegaard uh, was talking about the need for some type of federal government over the earth, kind of a universal federal government as the only way to avoid, uh, you know, like the, like the, effort, the impact of sin and, and all the bad things in the world. You need some type of federal government to control everything. By the way, if you can hear my dog barking in the background, she's... Uh, Especially hyper. I don't know what's going on lately. Like someone goes by the house, they drive out. You know, dogs always bark. Not a big deal. But some some days, like she she freaks out. Like some days she bark. Like okay, she's doing her job. Rough, rough. Okay. 
other days she freaks out. She'll be in a complete sleep. Someone will go by maybe in a loud car, you know, brand the, the mufflers, blah, 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 blah. And she freaks out like it's the invasion, you know, we're all going to die. I, I don't get it. I think she needs to, uh, I took her for a long walk this morning. I think she'd be tired. I think she needs to get into uh, meditation or something. <laughs> so, so that's that we, 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 uh, and see, and I got distracted. I don't know what I was talking about because the dog was barking, but long and short of it, I want to unpack some of the stuff. I think this is the beginning, uh, Kierkegaard, and we'll talk about him a little bit in subsequent episodes, but he was one to, uh, talk about the need for a federal government and Kierkegaard considered a Christian philosopher. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big lover of Kierkegaard's thinking, but, uh, he was one of these guys who was saying we need a one world government. So he didn't talk about the new world order, but this idea of trying to bring the world together to find peace, that's, that's, it's a pretty old idea, pretty old idea. And to see it manifesting after World War I is not unreasonable. I'm not saying it's good, not saying they did the right thing, but I think under the circumstances, if I'm just this kind of objective observer without any skin in the game, not somebody living the fruit of what they've done, you know, those, those, those uh, 80, 90 years ago, 100 years ago, 1920, League of Nations, I'd have to say I get it. I get why they would make that decision. Looking back, is, was it the right decision? Was it the right attitude? No, of course not. But hindsight's always 100%. So because I do appreciate your time, I would love to know what your thoughts are as we kind of cue this up. I, there, there's a part of me that feels a little bad. I, I, I want to give you more meat, but I felt like this episode, I just want to cue it up. There's so much there. I mean, I'm an hour in and yeah, maybe I could have just shut up for half of it and got right to the content. But we're an hour in, and I, I want to be able to do this justice. And so I'm hoping you'll hang around. Hope you'll share this with folks. Tell your friends. I think this is going to be a wild ride. I'm really, so on one level, I'm pretty excited. I think this can be a really cool exploration together. And I think we're going to learn some things. I think we're going to have uh, a perspective on the world around us that, that a lot of folks don't have. I'm hoping that we gain some phenomenal insights through all this. And at the same time, I'm hoping that we can even reframe some of the stuff where people are like, oh, that's just a silly conspiracy theory. You know, hey, look, a lot of conspiracy theories are being proven true. And what's interesting, like I mentioned at the beginning, you look at the Wikipedia. On one hand, you've got the New World Order conspiracy theory. Then you've got another article, New World Order politics. And if you read both of them, the facts are pretty much the same. They're the same facts. It's just one is written with the tone of there's a bunch of wackos that think this is a big deal. And the other one is like, well, here are the bunch of things that happened. And this phrase was used by so-and-so and they were hoping to do X, Y, and Z. And quite frankly, if you look at the politics article with the right lens, and I don't mean a, 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 this horrible, like, you know, jaded view, you just have to read it with an understanding of what's really going on in the world and go, yeah, of course, this is what they're doing. And no, this is not good. This isn't going to end well. So it's amazing to me how similar these articles are. It's just the tone. One's very cynical. One's very critical. One's almost mocking. Almost. It has to sound impressive because it's a you know Wikipedia entry, but it's but it clearly calls out you know these right wing Christian goofballs and, and conspiracy theorists like you know, David Icke and so on. 
But at the same time, the, the timelines that they talk about with the New World Order, and you look at the political entry, which is supposed to be more about the politics of, of this phrase and when it was introduced and what it meant at different times and different places. Well, it's like not that different. The New World Order is a real thing. And my argument is that it's hiding in plain sight. And what we're going to do over the next handful of weeks is we're going to unpack this New World Order and we're going to expose it for what it is. We're going to eliminate the, 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 the mocking, the, the sniggering, the cynicism, and we're going to show it for what it really is because it is hiding in plain sight. It is right there. And it uses even the whole conspiracy theorist approach to this to, to mask what it really is, but we're going to unmask it. So guys, thank you for joining me for this introductory episode. Looking forward to digging in. I wish, uh, I wish we could just do a five hour show, but we're going to break this out one week at a time. I love you guys. I'm really grateful for all of you. I hope you're doing great. Hope your life is going well. Please get in touch with me. I love hearing from you. I love communicating. You guys have been doing that, which has been lovely. And I will be sure to catch you guys all in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.